welcome everybody once again to Spring. as Mallory does. What are you doing? Scratching my nose, just got really itchy. Now, we've delayed this a little bit, not by any planning process, it just happened and stuff, and I'd like you to tell our listener a large reason why tonight was a little bit later than um, than we initially planned. What, what happened this evening? I was playing Spyro. Yes. And you decided that you wanted to believe in me that I could pass this one level. Now, can you can you briefly explain about this level? So, you're on a timer and you're flying and you have to get... It's kind of like an obstacle course where you're picking up seconds towards your timer so that you have more time. So you have to get eight one-second hoops that you jump through and then eight two-second kind of like hoops that you jump through. And then you have to kill three planes. No, not three. Eight planes, which are three seconds each. And you have to open eight boxes, which I think are two seconds each. All while you're flying. It took me about three hours, two hours. I can something like that. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't even know if I understood what you were saying then. But um, it was funny. We filmed bits, and um, it was cute. It was. It was funny. Yeah, I kind of was one of these things where like you're playing something. You're like, oh, just one more go. One more go. One more go. And then you're like two hours later. You're like shit. I'm still going ahead. But she did it. She finally got past it. So. Good job. She hadn't played Spyro in some time, so that was uh, that was exciting. Um, how how else has your week been? Are you how are you feeling about uh, Mr. Trudeau back in the um that place where the Canadian Prime Minister goes Sussex Hill? Is it not? I mean, yeah. If I had chosen, he wouldn't have been my choice, but that's fine. Okay. Um, did you get much reaction from your family and friends? I have not talked to anyone about it. That being said, like my Facebook. That, that's what I meant. Is full. Of people not happy, happy in the middle. Mostly not happy. Really? So not even, nobody really. It's interesting. I find that a lot of people like him outside of Canada, but I guess they don't live there. So, um, I they mean. Don't have to, they don't have to actually deal with his politics. But he's a beautiful man. He's got a nice bum. That's all that matters, right? No? All right. Um, I really want to buy, actually, I'm going to do that. When we get the next year, I'm going to buy those Justin Trudeau socks. Do you think that's appropriate? You go for it. Maybe I'll get that Justin Trudeau calendar. That's probably a bit too far. I don't know. Well, I'm glad that, like, he's there because, you know, can push for an interview with him, maybe, possibly. Who knows? Maybe I can just be like, hey, Justin's up. He's going to let me in the country first. Like, if I maybe if I get rejected for this visa, then I have a reason to not like him. Please don't, but. Yes. Anything else exciting happened during the week? We had Subway tonight. <laughs> Tell everyone how that happened. <laughs> well, you see, I didn't want to make dinner. Well, hang on a minute. In all in all fairness, tonight was a we're going to make each like our own dinners night. Like you were just cooking broccoli, I was going to cook my own quiche. Now we, I'd worked today, as in the paid arm of my life, not this lovely, you know. Anyway, and. We came home because Mallory came for a drive with me today. It was thrilling. We went to a place called a Tao Tao. It was the time of our lives. We'll remember that for decades to come. Um, imagine if in like 30 years' time we're sitting on the couch and we're like, remember that time we went to a Tao Tao? And you're like, yeah. And then we'll just move on and like watch a hologram of, I don't know, um, J- 
Justin Trudeau, still Prime Minister of Australia, uh, Canada, Australia. He's moving on to Canada. Anyway, point is, came home, um, and Mallory was like, I'm going to cook a piece of chicken to have my broccoli. Ben, you can have half a piece of chicken. Cool. All right. So I came home. She'd cooked the chicken because I could smell like something smelled really good. I'm like, what's that? And like, oh, I'm going to go check on the chicken. Cool. Chicken, chicken's cooked, right? Broccoli ready to go, right? Pretty much everything had been done. And she still wanted Subway. Now, how I had to bribe you, though. Yes, I had to put the clothes away, the clean laundry, before we went. And then where did we go? To Subway. And what did we eat? Salad. And how was it? Yum. That was the story of our Sunday evening. It's pretty exciting. We live a very exciting life. Invercargill has brought out the excitement. And just, you know, I just always want to share with people in the world that, you know, a year and a bit ago, we were living in, in beautiful Brisbane and pretty much always doing everything. Like, we worked, but we went out and did things and just had a life and, I mean, had friends. It, it was cool. And now, here we are, playing Spyro for three hours. Yep. And listening to the rain, which is nice. I actually like the rain. Recording a podcast at like 12.30am because we've got to do this earlier and I really want to get it up and go to bed because I've got to get up in the morning to watch Grand Prix. First world problems on the brink. Yep. So much so that this is the only part we're going to record with Mallory and we're going to do a closing because we're not even doing a middle part. How do you feel about that this week? So good. You actually don't give a shit, do you? No, not really. All right. Well, we've got other people to play, so let's hear them now. <laughs> well, we've officially moved on from season one of Days of Our Pies, which means... It's time for season two. That's right. There was more of these. It didn't get cancelled after the first one. Here is, uh, straight away, let's get into it. The first episode of Days of Our Pies, season two. Let's find out what's happening in Ramsey Bay. Previously on Days of Our Pies. You can't leave me here to die. I'm the Prime Minister of Australia. That's where you're wrong, Prime Minister Rod. I'm not going to leave you to die. I'm going to end things now. What do you mean? Goodbye, Prime Minister. You earthlings, you found out only witness the most poisonous substance known to man, raise an enemy. Die, you hideous creature! Jennifer, would you like some help looking for George? No, it's okay, Roy. As silly as it sounds, I think I've moved on and found someone else. Already? But you don't even know if he's dead or alive. Deep down, I know he's dead. Right now, there's only one man I care about, and it's you, Frank. Jennifer, is this for real? It sure is, Frank. I know you've been in love with me for ages, and I realize that when you saved us from the aliens, that you were the man I wanted to be with. I will always love George, but for now, you're the one I love. Uh, 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 Jennifer, where are you? Like pastry in the oven, these are the days of our pies. I'm Lisa Jones, and these are the days of our pies. It has been one year since the events of season one in Ramsey Bay. The entire town has been rebuilt and has become one of the busiest small towns in the country. Local town policeman Frank Cakeman has married his longtime lover Jennifer Pyman, whose husband has been presumed dead after the tragic events last season. Little does she know that he is alive and has been living under a secret identity next door to them for the last year. After another beautiful sunny day, Frank returns to his beautiful wife with some exciting news. Hello, honey. I'm home. Oh, Frank, I've missed you all day. I'm so glad my honeybee has returned home safely. 
Thank you, my sweet. I have some exciting news for not only us, but for Ramsey Bay. Oh, please, do tell. I am so excited to hear what you have to say. Well, I shall tell you now. It appears that newly elected Prime Minister of Australia, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is coming to Ramsey Bay for a visit. And he's coming here tomorrow to make... Oh, my, that is extremely exciting news. It certainly is, Jennifer. And as the town's number one police officer, I have been chosen to show him around our beautiful town. I'm so proud of you. What a fantastic honor. It sure is. So excuse me as I must be off to bed to prepare for my big day tomorrow. Frank goes to bed, preparing himself for his big day tomorrow. Meanwhile, a knock at the door is heard. Oh, look who it is. It's our extremely nice neighbor, Floyd Grayman. How are you tonight, Floyd? I'm very well, Jennifer. How are you this fine evening? I'm very well, thanks, Floyd. What can I do for you? Well, as you know, I have been living here for the last year, and I moved here about the same time as you did. And, well, I don't think I have ever gotten to know you, Jennifer. I want to know all about you. Like, have you ever been married before? Well, Floyd, yes, I was married. Once. <laughs> and he died during the tax last year. Ah, Jennifer, I am so sorry to hear that. He sounds like a mighty fine and smart man. <laughs> Yes, he's serious. We used to own the town store together before it was destroyed. And I sold it to land recently to an unknown person. And you know what? It kind of looked a little bit like you, Floyd. Just without the weirdly shaped, gnarly colored mustache. Oh, uh, really? Well, I, um, I, I'm glad that you can tell me this, Jennifer. I hope we can get closer, as I really want to know more about you. As George continued to talk things over with Jennifer, still keeping his identity a secret, across the other side of town, Roy Bowler Cereal and his son Billy Musibar were having dinner. Oh, my Billy! My Billy boy! I am so glad we have spent this last year getting closer. But to tell you one thing, you have grown up so much. Thank you, Daddy. I have. I have managed to get accepted into university, despite me technically only being like five or six. But I am glad the scriptwriters decide to age me a bit, even though my voice still is squeaky and kind of gay. It doesn't bother me one ounce of Agus, Billy. I am just glad that nothing major has happened. We're due for something major to happen, though. Considering those mysterious microphones of started following us again. All of a sudden, a large explosion is heard. Oh my god, Daddy, what was that? No idea, me Billy. You stay here and eat your soup. I'll go check it out. Roy goes outside to check on the explosion and is shocked to see what he sees. Oh my gosh, the town's police station's been bombed. Who has bombed the town's police station? Will Jennifer ever realize that Floyd is really George in disguise? Who has bought the town's local store? And will the bombings prevent Prime Minister Arnold Schwarzenegger from coming to Ramsey Bay? Find out next week on Days of Our Pies. Oh, just when you thought the drama couldn't get any more. That happens. Uh, we'll have episode two for you coming up next week. <laughs> we promised you last week we would get him back on again this week because stuff's actually happening in Canada right now. It's Colin Hilding from Canada. He's all of Canada. Hello, Colin. Welcome back. Hello. Can you hear how excited we are at the results of the recent Canadian election? Ah, it's global news. It was breaking. You're celebrating in the street because you haven't changed your government, kind of. Um, (laughs) Tell our listener what happened. 
Uh, well, I think when you left us last week, previously on the brink, <laughs> um, Justin Trudeau had made a lot of stupid blunders, embarrassed the country, and was at risk of becoming the only prime minister in Canadian history to go from a majority government to not even forming a government in the next election. Uh, instead, he managed to form a government and has managed to go from having, or I guess being the only Canadian prime minister, to go from a majority government to actually losing the popular vote. So, uh, results of the election are essentially, uh, they won the most seats, they won more than they were expected, it was expected to be tighter, but it's a minority government, but even still, more people voted conservative than they did the liberals, so... Justin Trudeau seems to have come out of this patting himself on the back. Well, we did it, guys. And everybody in the media is saying, well, you really did it. This is not a good sign. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting because I was reading a lot of um, articles about what minority government means in Canada because it I, looks a little bit different to Australia where even though he doesn't have the majority of the seats, he can still rule without then forming a coalition. Like, he can form sort of weird deals with other minor parties to say, like, hey, cool, guess what? I'm not going to form a coalition with you, but along the way, if you want something, maybe I'll listen. Is that kind of how it works? Basically, I mean, in typical Canadian fashion, I think more than anything, it's just everybody plays nice. Because um, unlike, you know, you know Australia... Uh, Canadians <laughs> really hold it against you if you call an election too quickly. So it's pretty much a given that, you know, even if it is like Trudeau versus the Conservatives, the Conservatives will vote in favor of certain things just because if they don't and an election gets called too soon, they're going to be in a worse position because they caused it. So I think the typical Canadian minority government lasts about a year and a half to two years. Um, I think Stephen Harper had the longest running minority government. It was maybe about two and a half years. Nobody's really expecting this one to go for more than a year and a half. Um, although you never know, you might be surprised. But to, yeah, I mean, th th that's the easiest way to sum it up. You don't really need an official coalition. It's just let's cooperate until, you know, we'll bide our time when we think that uh, we can potentially do better in another election and then just, you know, force another election. So basically, we're going to be having another one of these in about 18 months' time then. Exactly. <laughs> wow. And considering in about a year's time we've got the US one, um, you know, maybe Canada can steal the US's thunder because I don't think there's going to be any news around the American election next year, is there? Oh, nothing. There's n there's nobody who's really polarizing involved in that, is there? Pretty boring election, I think it's going to be. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's. I find that interesting because we had a minority government back in 2010 where basically neither of the two leaders received enough seats, but they had to sort of form an official deal with these people. I mean, we've got less seats, but uh, and they only, I think, Julia Gillard only needed about three people to sign off to help her form and get the majority. But yeah, it was basically they had to tick the boxes to say, cool, you are officially working with me so we can say to the Governor General, mm. we're going to form a majority. So I see that um, our man, Mr. Singh, didn't do as well as we thought he was going to do either. Yeah, which... Um... I mean, there's a, a lot of theories about that. You know, one is that he, he really gained momentum very late. There were a lot of people that were particularly worried because, I mean, even aside from Trudeau's scandals, uh, the way that he's governed has made a lot of people nervous because he's basically like, you know, let's just run massive deficits. You need to invest in the future. And then it's like, okay, so when do we get out of this? When you're out of office? <laughs> Uh, and the NDP's platform, I mean, I basically explained it that like, I love saying he's, he, you know, he'd be a great leader, but 
what he's putting out there essentially seems like science fiction and uh people weren't necessarily buying into that the other part being trudeau kind of played the fear game in this election i think uh all the the commentators on tv were basically saying that uh he sort of presented it as hey look if you vote for the ndp you're just going to split it and then the conservatives get in power so if you don't want the conservatives you have to vote for us uh, which really explains how the liberals got more seats even though everybody's opposed to trudeau uh and, and it surprised me because the ndp they actually uh, I, I think they yeah they dropped in seats from the last election which has a lot to do with the, the bloc quebecois same thing with this just being a minority government you know the separatist party has gained a lot of power again after you know basically being non-existent for a while uh but it was only two elections ago that the ndp formed the official opposition and now they're down to i think they were in the 20s for the amount of seats that they had um so they're pretty far off uh conservatives and liberals are both well over 100 but i still see that it's likely that if they keep Singh as their leader if they don't just jump ship really quickly you know he'll probably be opposition in the next election what about mr personality andrew shear uh is he hanging on to <laughs> to his uh, position because i feel like i can bag him out he, now he sure. lost so that's all right you know what's really weird is that uh that they had like their big panel you know on ctv when they were covering the election and there was one guy who was saying you know he came in here with the goal to gain more seats and he didn't do it, and he didn't win. So I guess it's time he's replaced. And somebody said, well, they got 99 seats last time, so he gained more than 25. And this is a guy who nobody liked and trusted. Uh, so I, I guess the response within the Conservative Party now is going to be, hey, we did this. We came this close to beating the Liberals with a guy that people like almost as almost less than trudeau i mean i think trudeau's approval rating was something like a 34 and uh shears was at 38 uh so what could we have done with a competent leader but then the flip side of that is we still were able to make this type of ground you know add 20 percent to the the amount of seats that we won uh with a guy nobody likes <laughs> so do we keep the guy nobody likes and hope that they you know suddenly warm up to him or do we you know add another leader that could just be because that's what really happened to the liberal party is that uh the liberal party after you know our probably one of our longest running prime ministers jean chrétien stepped down uh you know his successor was a complete buffoon uh destroyed the party very quickly almost single-handedly and then they just jumped from one leader to the next one leader to the next and each time was just diminished and diminished so that, that's kind of the fine line you have to like, okay, do we want to just get another leader too quickly and then we might lose some of the support we gained or do we want to stick with the guy who will probably never give us a majority government, might give us a minority? How Canadian, like just, um, oh, yeah, he tried, let's keep him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had some success. <laughs> he got a pat him on the back for that. True. But I see, so Bloc Quebecois, uh, they gained nearly as many seats as the Conservatives did. Is that expected? Was that unexpected? Are people just jumping on the Quebecois bandwagon again because they like poutine? I don't know. It really has nothing to do with the Bloc. It's all rejection of Trudeau because I think they picked up so many Liberal seats. Uh, and the interesting thing is when you look at what the Liberals lost, you know, I, I look just in the areas uh, like in Manitoba here where I'm living, and the major seats that the Liberals lost were ones where previously another party kind of had like, you know, a stronghold on that riding. 
it flipped to the liberals under Trudeau in the last election. And then they're like, well, this Trudeau thing didn't work out, so let's flip back. So there were NDP seats they were like 100% solid, and then the Liberals put like some star candidate in there, and they won the last election, and then their star candidate loses to some nobody because people are just saying, nah, it didn't work out. I'm going back to my old party. And I think that's mostly what it was with the block is that a lot of people jumped on board the Liberal bandwagon in the last election, and I don't want to say we're quick to jump off because they've been given you know good reason to jump off, but uh, basically just just lost faith and said, you know, let's go back to what worked for us before. The big question I have to ask you then, did you vote? I did. Oh, wow. Did you feel special? <laughs> no, not really. Um, <laughs> it was kind of we had like 80 kilometer winds and it was raining and snowing, I think, at the same time. Uh, and I had to walk there. Uh, oh. It was almost a kilometer. First world problems. Uh, but it was the night the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker trailer debuted, so I just wanted to try to get home in time for it. Did you? Uh, but yes, I did vote. I, oh, I did. I got home and I probably had 30 minutes to spare. Oh, look at that. Did Jamie vote? Does Jamie care enough? She did. Um, funny enough, uh, she, in pretty much every election, just says, I don't really know anything about this. What do you think I should do? She formed a lot of opinions on her own in this election. Wow. Probably followed it closer than I did. Uh, but this being the first election, she's really closely followed, you know, wasn't quite skilled enough to say like uh, i don't know which of these stories are real stories and which of these stories are fake news or whatever you know <laughs> so uh in the end we kind of made a joint decision and you know you know came to a conclusion this is the only candidate we can vote for in our area because as i think i mentioned last week you know, the the mps in our riding aren't even really putting out anything about themselves and we were sort of left with one person who was the only person who we could actually find any information on who they were individually. I, I'm seeing here to the Greens. So that the, are the only seats they ever win actually on Vancouver Island. Is this basically where I have to uh, living with Mallory moving yeah. forward? That she's from a green part of the country. Yeah, for whatever reason, I think that they had a seat in Atlantic Canada before. I don't know if they still have it, but I remember it being a big deal in one of the past elections. Maybe it was like the first time they did it or it was somebody who flipped to the Green Party. But they've had more than one. I mean, they gained a lot more, again, if you look at popular vote, which I don't really think, you know, popular vote should determine an election one way or the other. But it does show you, even though they can't win in these ridings, they're gaining more votes across the board. And uh, that's the big thing with the Green Party is that, you know, they're, they're pr still probably decades away from really even getting to the level of, say, the NDP or the Bloc. <laughs> but uh, they're getting more supporters and they're becoming like the, the choice. It used to be, you know, oh, I don't really want to vote liberal. I don't want to vote conservative. I don't want to vote NDP. I'm just going to throw away my vote. And now it's like, hey, I'll throw away my vote on the Green Party. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit nobler, and maybe you know uh, they'll gain some ground with this. Mm, maybe I, I don't. Maybe I won't move there. I don't know. Um, well, <laughs> shouldn't say that out too loud. Um, anything else exciting happening during the week? The Leafs lose again, did they? I don't know. I haven't really paid attention to how they're doing during the week. I haven't either. I, I do know Canada lost its first ever Survivor player. Oh, yeah, gee. But I did, I did appreciate the fact that he did bring that up in his closing speech. Like, yeah. it was not mentioned at all throughout the entire season, but um, considering if you actually listened to him and couldn't half tell he's Canadian. But, yeah, that was sad. <laughs> and you know what? It's funny because the, uh, there's a couple of people I know who watch Survivor, and I asked one of them today. It's like, you know that guy that got voted out the Canadian? It's like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, 
there are people if they didn't if they don't follow closely enough to actually read a bio they had no idea and if they didn't stay for the you know the the ending confessional uh, uh, at the end of the episode they have no idea but it is a big deal it's just it's not really being made a big deal here i think uh we could discuss this on the oz network but might as well do it here since i missed the recap um i think they really had we were kind of confused as to why do they only have one canadian they made such a big push were getting Canadians for the first time. It really was, let's open up more prospective contestants because after 39 seasons, we're starting to exhaust you know these type of people in these type of regions. And 20 people they cast and they pick one Canadian and he was an ex-hockey player. Hmm. Uh, and what I've been hearing more and more is that, uh, and I remember this from applying last year, that um, the applications, the Canadian applications were first filtered by Canadian casting and the Canadian casting would go to CBS and say, these, these are the people we want to send you. Um, and if you've ever seen Canadian reality shows, I mean, you usually get maybe one controversial person. But for the most part, the Canadian reality shows often get criticized for just everybody's too nice. Which really, if you live in Canada, you know, we're not that nice. It's just Canadians being, we want to put the best foot forward. You know, we want to present ourselves uh, as being as polite as we are. And... I think that's what kind of burnt them. They just the, whoever was doing the Canadian casting just put out too many typical Canadian people and not enough people that would really fit Survivor. So this year they've actually moved the casting directly through CBS. So you get cast as Canadian the same as you would an American. I have a feeling that's probably going to lead to uh, more Canadians on the not the next season, but the ones that follow that. Well, I'm still hanging out for this Canada vs USA season because it sells itself so much. Like, just it, <laughs> I just think that that just perfectly sells a season because you would just have such national pride on the line for the US. Like, this is our game. We're not going to let these players come and beat us. And you know, just ah, it just sells itself. And they're running. Well, God, Island of the Idols, Island of Ghosts, and Edge of Extinction, yeah. and Edge of Millennials, and whatever. Like, they've, they've run out of ideas. Give us a Canada. Canada versus USA season already. And, you know, the perfect way to do it is just do the Island of the Idols. Instead of Rob and Sandra as coaches, you got Trudeau and Trump. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Gretzky and Jordan, but, um, yeah, tr- Trump and Trudeau. <laughs> like, Trump's already got a giant statue of himself, so we've got a few, so let's, yeah. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, always a pleasure, Colin. I'm sure we will talk again very soon. Uh, I'm sure, too. Maybe even in a few minutes. Over on the Oz Network. Classic interview time and a bit of a personal favourite of mine. A bit of a fanboy moment it was to interview the esteemed Nikki Webster 10 years ago, I believe it was. 10, 9 years ago. Long time it was. And uh, fun chat. And the funny thing is, not long after this interview aired, uh, you'll hear her talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, being single at that time. Uh, she, I believe, had a child and got married. So, um Maybe the brink had something to do with that. Who knows? But uh, here's our classic interview with the legendary Miss Nikki Webster. We are very excited to have our next guest here on the brink. She rose international stardom as a star of the Sydney 2000 opening and closing ceremonies and has since gone on to be one of the most recognisable faces and voices in Australia. In 2001, she released one of the highest selling singles of the year with Strawberry Kisses and has since gone on to release three hugely successful albums and in between has gone on to star in everything from The Wizard of Oz to Dancing with the Stars. So please welcome to the brink for the first time nikki webster nikki it is a fantastic to finally have you here on the show oh thanks for having me 
It's all right. I can just, I really do want to say, though, in the five years that I've been doing this show, I don't think I have been more excited to finally land a guest. We've been trying to chase you up yeah. since the start. Really? Yes. Oh, don't I feel important. <laughs> you, you should, you should. And the listener... I'm, I'm glad you finally got me. <laughs> <laughs> the listener reaction has just been superb, too. So I know everybody oh. listening to this right now is excited to have you finally on the show, Nikki. Now, of course, many people first got to know you as the face of the Sydney Olympic opening and closing ceremonies, as I just mentioned in the introduction. But you have been around a lot longer than that, appearing in everything from Home and Away. Do you remember anything from your role on Home and Away? Um, I do, actually. It was just a guest spot night. I believe my brother was in it also, and um, we were basically just in a house and, you know, we were playing brothers and sisters and someone came to the door. I don't actually remember what characters it was, but um, I remember the filming day. It was was quite fun, quite a lot of fun, and uh, obviously being on screen with your brother, you... And playing a brother and sister, you get to, um, you know, have a fight and it's all good fun. <laughs> no acting. It's just, you know, just... No, no, no acting. <laughs> no, not at all. Now, something that many of our listeners may not actually be aware is that you uh, have performed with the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, that was when he was in, um, in Sydney for his history tour. And um, a whole group of us got to meet him. And then he asked us to sing on stage with him. And we sang Heal the World. And we were walking around in a big circle and he picked me out of the circle to sing out the front with him. So, um, you know, just incredible moment, uh, you know, singing, standing next to Michael Jackson, singing to a, a packed audience. Um, it was absolutely insane and, and um, you know, something I'm, I'm going to hold on to the rest of my life and unfortunately he's, he's not around anymore. But... Uh, I've definitely got a very fond memory of it. Were you a massive Michael fan or was it just something you did? Absolutely. Massive. Yeah. Massive Michael fan. Still am. You know, he's a a genius at what he does and uh, and getting to meet him and and spend just a little bit of time just getting to know him was was incredible. And I I guess my one regret is probably not keeping in contact with him after I did the Olympics because I'm sure it was probably something he would have liked to have known about. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, yeah, that just, I mean, I teach all my kids at my dance studio, Michael Songs, and uh, we love it. We have a dance, we have a sing, and it's just infectious music, which is brilliant. Absolutely, and of course, obviously, tragic circumstances last year that happened, but mm. um, unfortunately, I suppose his music will live on, and if you're teaching that to your the students there, I mean, I suppose that works out very well. And with that, yeah. now that you do have this uh, studio, your dance studio, is that something that's sort of bringing back the way you started when you were young? You're trying to get this now to other people coming along to this studio and being able to start what you did? Yeah, absolutely. I guess, uh, you know, I've always grown up in, in dance studios, but it's a more relaxed in terms of we're very nurturing, my, my, my brother and myself are business partners, and... Um, I guess I've been through a lot of ups and downs publicly with the media and if I can nurture these young up-and-coming stars, um, performers and, and I guess steer them away from what I've been through or, or help them through the tough times and, um, you know, that that's what I'm going to do. That's it, what I'm really passionate about. And um, now having an agency also attached to the dance studio, um, yeah, I'm able to see kids take the steps that I took. So um, it, it, it's very exciting and I love it and uh, it's such a rewarding thing to do. Well, that's obviously the main thing too with that. And you've actually sort of half answered a question I was going to ask. We've noticed here at the show, at the brink, that whenever the media do talk about you or they're interviewing you or anything along those lines, they always seem to refer to this public perception of you and it always turns out in a negative way. How much does this annoy yeah. you, Nikki? I mean, is there anything you would love to say or do to these media type and do you just want something <laughs> nice and positive out there for you for once? That's true. I don't I don't think there's enough time for me to tell you what I'd like to do to them. No, um, <laughs> look, I don't, I don't really, I don't read the good, I don't read the bad. I'm kind of at that point where, you know, it, 
it, it's not worth kind of reading into what they're saying. Um, I always find it weird that they make it a public perception that's a negative thing when I'm out on the streets every day being myself and it's actually the media's perception. It's it's not the public. The public are quite behind me. So um, I guess I'm, I'm blessed in, in that sense. But, uh, you know, it was tough going through puberty and going through, you know, the tall poppy syndrome. But I'm still going through it with the media. I don't think it's ever going to stop. So I've got to get on with it <laughs> and do you want to try and shake off obviously the image is always you with this young girl from the opening ceremony at the olympics i've even mentioned it in my opening ceremony so i'm being a hypocrite by saying this but you obviously you've done so much more than just you know being up on a wire at the opening ceremony of the olympic games <laughs> i guess you know that was such a proud moment for our country and uh, as a whole and um you know i'm, I'm happy to to be put in in you know side by side with that is is absolutely amazing so it's something that is always going to be with me, and I'm, I'm happy for it to be mentioned all the time, absolutely. <laughs> I suppose, though, if you're happy for it to be mentioned. I mean, there are some people we've had on the show where they've got that one moment, and you sort of say to people, yeah. oh, yeah, we've got <laughs> Jane Savile on the show. Who's that? Oh, she's the one who got disqualified just before she walked into the stadium. They know yeah. that moment. So with no, Nikki Webster, it's a bit that. different. Yeah, true. <laughs> they know if you say that, who Nikki Webster is, they don't need to be known that you're the one from the opening ceremony. They know who you are, Nikki. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you've walked out into that stadium, you You've got a couple of billion people around the world watching you at that moment. How, how are the nerves going? Are you absolutely crapping your dacks? Well, not really. I think the main thing was I, the only time I got nervous was right at the beginning where I had to walk out and I had to hit centre mark right in the middle of the stadium. And, you know, there was no markings on the floor. So basically it was done by feel and, and, and rehearsals of where I'd found centre. Because if I didn't hit the centre spot, I couldn't have flown because the cables couldn't come down. That was the only thing I was nervous about. Once I hit centre, I was like, this is easy, this is great. And I didn't even think about, you know, people watching. I think um, that was a great thing that David Atkins and Rick Birch did with me. They didn't didn't really put the pressure on that so many people would be watching. They just said, you know, go out, make us proud. You know, there's everybody in the stadium. They forgot to tell me that it was being filmed for the world. Just that small little fact. Yeah, they forgot good way. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. I'm sure you wouldn't walk out there and they've gone, okay, Nikki, hit centre spot and just forget about the three billion people watching you. Yeah. Yeah, and if you don't hit centre spot, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that was before YouTube, though, but, I mean, still, it would have been yeah. something that they would have put on there now, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you watch the other Olympic ceremonies now every four years and you sort of think, like, what are they doing? Me flying up above the, you know, Stadium Australia was so much better than a little boy in Greece on a boat. Ah! I, I do watch them, and I think, you know, the thing I find amazing is how much um, uh, technology is, has come on since the 2000 Olympics. You know, we could only fly up, down, and across. Now they can fly in zigzags. They can play any way they want. <laughs> so there's obviously a lot more creative license and, and, and ways through technology that, um, you know, enhance the opening ceremony. But I think overall our, our storyline, our uh, what we portrayed, the you know, everything put together was just, exceptional and all the directors that were a part of the opening ceremony were absolutely incredible and um you know, I think we're the best, and I think we're always going to be the best. I think you <laughs> but I'm not biased. A, no, not at all. You can't be biased. Well, you know, Sam Arant said we're the greatest Olympics ever, and no one's he ever did, said anything he else. He did, he did. absolutely, and he yeah. told me that as well, too. So yeah, well, there you go. I'm going to take got that it. and run. You've got that from the man himself, so you can I, use that personally. Absolutely. And I think there's been a bit of a trend since Sydney 2000. Every opening ceremony, whether it be a winter or summer, mm. I swear they've been using, like, a young child telling a story. Yeah. And, you know, Nikki, you've started this. Oh. 
I feel flattered. <laughs> it was kind of David Atkins and Rick Burge, but hey, I'll oh, take that. <laughs> yeah, they, no they want to recreate them. it, I'd say go for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, no one remembers them, you know? I mean, when you, when you, say, when you say Strawberry Kisses, people don't care who wrote it, Nikki. You sang it. Come True. on. Come oh, on. thanks. Now, of course, with Strawberry Kisses, you've gone, Australia's gone Nicky Webster crazy after the Summer Olympics in 2000. What was this yeah. period like? I mean, how, could you walk out of your house? How, what were the fan reaction like to that? It, it was quite intense and it was quite weird for me being 13, thinking, OK, I've done the opening ceremony. I'm just going to go back to school when, you know, when we resumed at school. And I remember pulling up and I had 60 minutes following me at that point and obviously it was some kind of exclusive thing and, and there was 7, 9, 10 and every other news channel under the, the sun parked outside my, my school and, and I had to duck down in the car and I'm going, what is this? This is just crazy. Um, it, it was fun. It was scary. It was, it was hard at the same time, you know, eating in a food court like I normally would and people coming up with my mouth, you know, I'm shoving food into my mouth and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But I guess the, the great thing about it was everybody's spirit and um, how positive they were about being proud to be an Australian. Yeah. And uh, that was that was the main thing that was really, really touching. You should have rang up Michael Jackson and maybe got out some advice, you know, how do I deal with this, yeah. Michael? What do I do? <laughs> should have closed down the shopping centre so I should have got, could have gone shopping by myself. <laughs> Walked with like a One face day. mask on with your hand waving, you know, and some kids with some face you know, on their faces. <laughs> maybe not that far. Maybe not that far. Um, now, of course, in the years that followed, you did release a few more albums that I have uh, mentioned, of course, in the introduction. Mm. But I suppose a lot of people then remember you from 2005 when Dancing with the Stars happened. Now, how, yeah. how was this experience for you with a lot of stuff that happened during that filming there? It was great. Dancing, I mean, Dancing with the Stars is such a whirlwind. It's It's... You know, you're thrown into dancing with this person that you've never met before and you train, you know, seven, eight hours a day and um, then you go and you dance and, and you're totally out of your comfort zone. Yes, I'd had dancing training, but um, nothing to do with Latin dancing or, or anything yeah. like that. And I'd always sung and danced. I'd never just danced. And it was completely freaky. It was scary. And I remember the first episode, all of us standing backstage going, why did we sign up to do this? What are we doing to ourselves? You know, why are we putting ourselves out of our comfort zones? But um, it, it was great. I made some wonderful friends and um, it, it was a wonderful time. I think you've got some dogs in the background, some fans there. Are there I some do. Fans that's my little dog, Sunshine. She wants to start. She wants the limelight. I think. Oh, uh, we can. We can. Just ask saying hello questions. to everybody. Hi, Sunshine. I'm sure Hobart is loving you right now. <laughs> <laughs> now you did like when Dancing with the Stars. You did knock off a couple of Olympic gold medalists in Stephen Bradbury and Shane Gould, though. So I mean, you know, you've got this Olympic oh. reputation, and you've beaten some Olympic gold medalists, Nikki. So you can always put that yeah, in your I resume. I never too. thought about it that way. Mm. Well, we had Stephen Bradbury on the show, and we mentioned that to him. You know, you got beaten by Nikki Webster, oh, and he oh. was like, "Oh, well, what do you do?" <laughs> now, of course, also I was mentioning, though, that how the media perceive you as saying that, you know, you're always that young girl from the Olympics. But, of course, in the last five years, you've attempted to bring out this more mature image with some photo shoots for the men's magazines and, of course, Devilicious being released last year. And is this hard for you, given that you're putting so much effort into this and that Australia don't seem to want to accept a grown-up Nikki? Well, I don't, yeah, I don't think well, I'm putting so much effort into it. I just think it's a natural progression, really. Mm-hmm. The same thing if I was still dressed up in, you know, a pink um, plastic outfit, you know, like I wore in strawberry. <laughs> I think they'd be saying, she needs to grow up. So yeah. I guess I can't win. So no. I'm going to do what feels comfortable with me and, um, you know, don't worry about the media. It's more about getting my music across and performing. That's what I do. And uh, I have a right, just as everybody else has a right, to, 
to make a career out of things and, and to uh, give it a go. And, and um, I guess I'm lucky enough to have some doors open, but I'm going to keep dashing down a few more. <laughs> I suppose the media never seem to make up their mind, do they? I mean, with Michael no. Jackson, he never seemed to grow up. They bagged him out. Britney Spears grew up too quickly yep. and they bagged her out too. They, you can't win, can you, Nikki? You can't. You can't win. So that's why you've got to kind of take it with a, a pinch of salt and, and just make sure you're not getting pushed around personally and you're happy with what you're doing. Exactly. Um, Screw the media. Yeah. You don't need them, you know. <laughs> Who needs us? This interview, who needs it? God, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I'm sure you're well aware, Nikki, we're trying to campaign to get the Olympics here in 2020 mm. in Hobart. And we have massive plans for it, of course. But we do think that no Olympic Games in Australia would be complete without Nikki Webster being the star attraction oh, of both God. opening and closing ceremonies. Can we book you in right now to be the star attraction? Absolutely. For Absolutely. I would love to do that, and I feel honoured that you say that, so thank you. <laughs> we will have you walking out centre spot, raising you up, and you were talking about zigzagging and all this sort of stuff. You won't yeah. even have string. You'll be flying oh. on your own by 2020. Woohoo! Mind you, how old will I be in 2010? Well, what's that? You're going to be, what, 10 years' um, time? So 32? 32. Oh. oh, you'll still be young, Nikki. Come on. <laughs> That's a little scary. <laughs> yeah. Don't, just don't think about the age factor. You know, you've got... True. You've got long time to get ready for it. But I, I know you've got, you've got Olympic experience, Nikki. So, I mean, can you suggest anything else that we can make our games even better than Sydney? Oh, oh, that's a tough one. I think it's, you know, the more people you get involved, the better. I think that's a great thing about the Olympics is, is the community spirit and everybody, the volunteers and, and everything like that. And I don't know. I think it's, I think it could be interesting. I mean, 2020, I mean, yeah, 2020s, it's so far away. But um, I don't know. I'll, I guess I'll leave that up to the creative directors. Mm, but I'm happy yes. to be a part of it. Well, you can be a creative director. As I said, you've got the experience. So, you know, bugger Rick no. Birch. We've got Nikki Webster on board. Come on. Oh, I think, I think you need someone like Rick or David. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you to pass on their phone numbers and, you know, we'll get some inside advice. <laughs> but we can get your full support then for the Olympics, Nikki, in Hobart for 2020. Could you... It sounds fantastic. Yeah, what about what about next interview? You know, you, you're on a current affair next time. You're sort of mentioning it. You could just be like, you know, hey, Tracy Grimshaw, bugger me, Nikki Webster, what about the 2020 Olympics? You know, come on. Ah! <laughs> Starring yeah, Nikki Webster. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Look, look, i tell you one thing. We're excited to have that, definitely. Now, Nikki, um, we're nearly going to be at the end of this interview, but um, just before we get to a set of questions we like to ask all our guests, I just wanted to mention though, you are 22 as we mentioned a few minutes ago, you've achieved more than most people do in their entire lives, what do you hope to achieve in the future, and speaking of 10 years time in 2020, where would you like to see yourself? Um, I guess this, you know, just moving along and, and achieving some of the same goals I've done um, you know, with music and, and taking it overseas, I'd love to to take my music overseas and see how it goes, um, you know, my dance studio, my talent agency to to keep on growing um, and and hopefully create some incredible performers that take on take on Australia and the world as well. So mm. yeah, just doing what I love doing and, and always being happy and hopefully I have a family and by that point and. Um, <laughs> Maybe some little Nickies running around. The little Nickies. We could have the like the instead of the Jackson Five, we could have the Webster Five. Oh my gosh! That would be exciting. You keep your brother involved, and you know, hubby and the kids. Ah, I've got to find a hubby first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come on! Look, put it, put it right now. We've got listeners of Hobart around the world. Nikki Webster, 
wants a husband. How's that? <laughs> a boyfriend first. <laughs> yeah. All right. Come on. We'll get people to send in emails. It can, can be like, you know, the Brink dating agency. You know, <laughs> our first attraction is Nikki Webster. <laughs> it, it will work well. Yeah. You could set up shop down here, Nikki, for the Olympics. You'd be here already. Now, look, we'll wrap it up yeah. with our set of questions we like to ask our guests. These are very easy. Don't get too, ex- too nervous. They'll be fine, okay. Nikki. So if you're ready, we'll get straight into them. What is your okay. favourite type of cheese? Um, like tasty cheese. Tasty cheese, one of the most like favourite ones. Strong vintage, yeah. Yeah, it's good bitey cheese. Good, good for mm. the good for the stomach. Uh, question two: Are you a folder or a scruncher? I don't know what I am. You don't. Is know. that weird to say that? No, not really. We've had a few who don't know. They sort of say yeah. like, oh, "I'll tell you next time," but that's yeah. A bit weird. It's kind of yeah. It's just, <laughs> I guess I don't think about it too much. No, you know, <laughs> you're not there and going, "I'm a folder, bugger me," and then yeah. you just go off and. Yeah. I will though. Next time, definitely. Yes. <laughs> Next interview with Tracy Grimshaw. You know, Tracy, I'm a folder. Anyway. <laughs> uh, question number three. Are we alone in this universe? Are we alone? Mm. No. No. Good. Yes. We've I went, not. We've only ever had two people said, yes, we are alone. It's kind of scary when they say that. It's it's sad mm. to think that. Uh, and the final question we have for you, Nikki, is what event would you like to see at the 2020 Olympics? Now, this can be anything. Let your mind run free. It doesn't have to be a sport even. It can be up to you. Oh, uh, I'd like to see the gymnastics because I missed out in the Sydney Olympics. Ah, uh, yes. So, sort of, would yeah. you would you like to compete in the gymnastics? So we get oh, Nikki... absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I could win a gold. Not. We'll guarantee <laughs> you gold. We'll rig the competition. Uh, yay! We'll... Everyone else would have to hurt themselves. Or yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll pay the judges off. You know, we'll give them some yay. like Tasmanian <laughs> cheese, some bitey, tasty cheese. That would work very well. well. Nikki Webster, thank you so much for your time here on the brink. Absolute honour to finally have you here on the show, and good luck with the dance studio and everything else Thanks that comes you. your way. And we look forward to seeing you in twenty twenty here in Hobart. I Bye-bye. Because I couldn't fit it in my book. Yes, welcome back. That's the reason why we didn't have a middle bit with Mallory this week, because I couldn't fit it in my book. She, she just farted. Um, it was good for her. Yeah, it wasn't really. I'd give it about a three out of ten. I'm sorry. Like it's, it's all good. It's, it's a bit like The Last Jedi, like lots of anticipation and expecting much, and then you walk out of it and you don't. You, you've watched them all now. Can we celebrate this fact? You watched all ten. Uh, now we're just gonna, you went to the Chris, oh god no I'm not making you watch a holiday special that will make you not like Star Wars. Do you do you want to see Chewbacca's father no grandfather watching virtual reality porn? Yeah. yeah, that's about how I can describe it. Um, we'll be back next week. This is the last show for October. Um, pretty exciting times so November next week. I'm excited for it. Happy Halloween, everyone. Uh, yes, I'm flying on Halloween. I'm, I don't know how I feel about that. Why? I don't know. I've flown on Halloween before, actually, so it's... it's just a day. Well, you know, that's what people said about September 11, and that's a really bad comparison. <laughs> um, I'm going to Auckland this week, folks, so um, don't light any convention centres on fire or anything this week, please, because I've kind of got to go there and do some important business. Well, not really, but um, do you like Auckland? Uh, for the two minutes I've seen of it, like, sure. Yes. Um, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe. A brand new podcast starting this week from the makers of The Brink and the Oz Network and all those other things. We've got Australian Survivor Archive starting this week. If you like Australian Survivor and want to learn about the history of it and join us on a journey of celebrating the history of the show, you're already listening to it already, aren't you? you, you, you you're chuffed. I had to forcibly like the page and Instagram page, so you're thrilled for it. I would have liked it had I known it existed. You did know it existed. I invited it to you on Facebook. Well, I hadn't seen it yet. I also posted a thing on my own Instagram, which I tagged the page in. Well, I hadn't seen it yet. Cool. 
Um, looking forward to seeing the Terminator this week. You are. Oh, I'm just stretching this. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening. It's been a great episode. Time of our lives. Just like going to a Tau Tau. Visit a Tau Tau. Southland's town. <laughs> Wasn't it something about like a western Southland town? The greatest western? The heart of western Southland or something like that. Just sounds like someone's got Tourette's and they want to grab something to dry themselves with. I'll have a Tau Tau. To wipe myself, self. She's nodding. Thanks for listening. And let's close it out. Keep sucking those oranges, Hobart Cargill. And Bon Nuit. <laughs>